Okay, any questions tonight about previous material before I dive into some new stuff? Any questions that you have? <clears throat> yes. Great question. Um, nowhere is a bad place. Okay, his question was, when you're giving somebody a Bible or they're new to the Bible and they want to know where to start reading, where do you start them out? Great question. So, nowhere in the Bible is a bad place. But there are better places than others. Right? So, if, if somebody starts out anywhere they want to start out on their own, hey, Every single book of the Bible ultimately in the Old Testament points to Christ and the New Testament further unveils the person of Christ. So you can't go wrong in the Bible, first of all. Now, what I generally do is I get people started in the Gospels. And a lot of times I start in the book of John. And here's the reason I like to start in the book of John. I like to start in the book of John because John under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, wrote his gospel specifically to help people know they have eternal life. So he's written it. This is what he says in the book. It's been written to help people know they can have eternal life through believing in Jesus. So John makes it very clear why you should believe in Jesus as the Son of God, the incarnation of God who made atonement for our sin. And it is a great place to start people. Any of the Gospels will be a great place. And what you're simply doing is giving people a chance to encounter Christ in a very clear way. They'll encounter Christ in all the Scripture. But it is most clear for a first-time experience in the Gospels. that help? Great question. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So the recommendation is from the Gospels go to Romans. I would second that by saying a smaller, more condensed version of Romans is Galatians. And so if Romans feels a little bit too overwhelming, then start in Galatians. Galatians is well, like a condensed version of Romans. And uh, again, the reason that Romans would be a great choice and what, what we've been encouraged to do here is reflecting that this is so theologically rich in the essence of what it means to be saved by God's grace through faith in Christ. Tremendous. Foundational. It's Paul's um, a theological treatise of what it means to believe in Christ. And then Galatians kind of a condensed version of that. Good, good input. Thank you. Anybody else? Question? Susan, can I share your email just the information so susan came up shared her two-minute story last wednesday and i had some criticism for her and she responded to that so beautifully went home prayed sought the lord worked through it restructured her story so that it amplified the gospel made it very clear later that week she had a chance to share that story with someone 
which was a clear presentation of the gospel, and that someone um, has responded to an interest in knowing more about Christ. And I thought that was pretty amazing that that happened. Isn't that cool? Great, great story. Yes. Yeah. So pr praise the Lord for that. Really, really thankful. Any other questions? Okay, remember, we are a people who love God, love people, and help others do the same. Right? That's who we want to be. That's who we're called to be. That's who we are in Christ. So tonight, I want to do more in terms of equipping you with how to make disciples. How does a disciple actually make disciples? So let's get into some of the nuts and bolts of that tonight. And let's just start with the idea of um, what to do. This is under the, the heading of what to do. And I want to start with the idea of how to ask. Have you ever thought about how am I going to ask somebody if I can disciple them? Have you thought about that yet? Because it, it, it kind of feels funny to go up to somebody and say, would you like for me to disciple you? And does anybody else feel a little uncomfortable with that approach? Um, it, it makes you kind of feel like, hey, I've got it all together. And since I know you don't, I'm here to help you. And that's kind of what it feels like, isn't it? So it's a little uncomfortable. And so I want to give you some language to use in terms of how to ask someone to enter into this kind of relationship. All right? And so I'm going to give you uh, four examples of what that, what that sounds like um, if you're going to ask someone to enter into a discipling relationship. So here's example number one. I'm trying to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ my knowledge of God's Word, and my life changing to be more like Christ. I believe my growth will benefit from spending time with someone else talking about our growth together. Would you be interested in spending some time together on a regular basis focusing on growing in Christ? Make sense? All you've communicated is, I'm simply one step ahead of you in asking you the question that you might be asking me. And so I'm asking if you'd like to spend some time together talking because this kind of together helps us grow in Christ. Make sense? So you're going to be one step ahead the whole way, but you are simply engaging in a relationship that will help you both grow in Christ. You're just taking a lead role in that. As time unfolds, you can begin to say, you know, when I came and asked you that question, um, that's something that the Bible encourage us all to be doing with people is asking them the question would you like to hang out a little bit intentionally regularly talking about our growing in the Lord because it helps us grow in the Lord the Bible encourages us to ask somebody those questions so that we initiate growth so that when they grow and they see the importance of that kind of relationship they begin to think I can ask somebody else and it will help them just like I was helped so you haven't even had to use the term make disciples initially and the experience along with your further explanation will make that feel very normal in terms of relationship in the body of Christ. Make sense? 
Part of the reason it's difficult to ask this question is because it's not as normal as it should be. It should be the normal culture and environment to be discipled by somebody who's ahead of you in Christ. But it's not nearly as normal as what it should be in the context of the body of Christ. And when it becomes the culture in a church, then people will be coming to you saying, will you disciple me? That's what will happen. And when you say to somebody, I'd like to disciple you, they know that you don't mean you have it all together. They know that you mean, I want to make an investment in your walk with Christ so that you'll be able to make an investment in somebody else's walk with Christ because that's what we're all called to do. Make sense? Okay, here's example number two. Other people have encouraged me in my relationship with Jesus. Would you be interested in spending time together encouraging each other to grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ and in following Jesus in everyday life? I was encouraged. You want to spend some time together encouraging each other? I'd like to encourage you. Simple as that. Example number three, the Bible commands followers of Jesus Christ to make disciples, to help others know how to obey the commands of Jesus. I'd like to spend some regular time together helping each other learn how to better obey the commands of Christ. Would you be interested in that? Make sense? And then the last one is, um, I've been helped in my relationship with Jesus by being discipled by another follower of Jesus. It really helped me. As a result, I have a desire to help others to be able to follow Jesus so that they can help others follow Jesus. Would you like to spend some, some regular time together towards that end? I've used that one a lot. Say to somebody, somebody discipled me in my life. It made a huge difference. If you've never experienced that, I'd love to do that for you. We'll simply be walking together, seeking to know Christ. I'll play a role of, of an, an encourager in your life, and guess what? You're going to end up being an encourager in my life, and it'll be a great experience. So, so those are some of the ways you can ask the question. Now, who do you ask? Who is a viable candidate for asking? Everybody, yeah. Sure. But... I will agree with that, but I would also say, oops, I would also say, not everybody is ripe for the asking. You understand that concept? Everybody's a candidate to ask, but not everybody's in the position to respond to the asking. And we want to make sure that we are asking people that are ready to respond to the asking. Okay, now you may not know until you ask and you may determine they weren't as ready as you thought they were. That's okay, but let me give you some thoughts on maybe how do you identify who should you begin asking would you like to enter into this kind of relationship for a period of time. Okay, so he, here's some thoughts here. So a new Christian with whom you shared your faith. Somebody you shared your faith, they come to know Christ. The next question you would ask them is, hey, I'm super excited about your decision to follow Christ. I'd love to help you get to know the Lord, understand how to read the Bible, know how to pray, know how to help somebody else make a decision like you've just made. And I'm willing to meet with you on a regular basis to help you figure out what it means to walk with Christ. That is one of the most joyful experiences of life. And so I would encourage you that one of the prayers that you add to your prayer list is, Lord, I pray you'd help me have the opportunity either to lead somebody to Christ 
or to meet a brand new Christian that I can encourage to walk with you that otherwise might not know. Just begin to pray that. Ask the Lord to give you that great joy of helping someone that's brand new in the faith learn how to walk with Christ. So somebody who's made a decision to trust Christ is a good person to ask. A believer who is surrendered or willing to surrender to fully following Jesus. So somebody says, I've already believed and I really want to follow Christ more than ever before. That is a great person to say, hey, if you want to follow Christ like never before, I'd love to spend time with you encouraging you to that because that's exactly what I want to do. We're on the same page there and I'd love to be an encourager in your life as you seek to fully follow Jesus Christ. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, the things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so a faithful person who is able to teach someone else is a person who is excited about learning, about what it means to follow Jesus. So you meet somebody who's expressing this great desire to follow Christ more fully in their lives. That's a, a great person to say, hey, would you like to walk together in this way? Okay. Another way you can make this decision on who to ask is look for the evidence of righteousness that's not attained by one's own effort alone. So people can modify their behavior in, in a lot of ways to look better, but there's a difference between somebody just trying to make themselves a better person and somebody who has been altered by the Spirit of God. They talk about it differently. God's really doing something in my life to change me. It's really remarkable. I want to tell you what's happening in me. That's a perfect candidate. And it sounds like God's really working in your life. I would love to spend time with you getting to know more about what God's doing. I think it'd be a great encouragement to me. I'd love to encourage you to keep letting that happen in your life. I'd love to see you grow like never before. And I would love to grow like never before. Would you like to spend some time together regularly just encouraging each other in the faith? And your goal is to equip them over the, the course of your meeting together so that they can be able to help someone else follow Christ like they're following Christ. And many people who are following Christ have not translated this idea of if I'm following Christ, I need to help others follow Christ. A lot of people think of it as I'm following Christ and that's what I'm supposed to do. And I hope that my life encourages others. And when opportunities come, I'll share about that. But they're not taking it to the step of, no, I'm engaging in helping others follow Christ because that's what it means to follow Christ. And a lot of times it will take you taking initiative in somebody's life in whom you see God changing and bringing out a righteousness, changes in their life that simply are not for any other reason except God's working in their life to bring about these changes. Make sense? Okay, the last thing that I think is helpful to consider when you think about who to ask is, is, is there any known cost or possible unknown cost of being a disciple that is too great? So what is this person's attitude about following Christ? I was meeting with a guy about uh, two and a half weeks ago. And I said to him, I said, are you ready to follow Christ? No matter what that might mean in your life. If nothing changes for the better, 
and things get worse, is Christ still enough for you to say, I want to follow him? If the answers to your questions are never answered to your satisfaction, are you still willing to follow Christ because he is enough? What if he asked you to do things that you never thought you would ever entertain doing, but you clearly understand that God's word asks this from you? Are you willing to align yourself with what God says, whatever it is? And he looked at me and he said, yes, I am. And I said, well, then you need to pray and you need to tell the Lord you're ready to follow him. You need to confess your sin to him and ask him to lead you in following him. I said, are you, are you willing to do that? He goes, I absolutely am. I said, okay, go ahead. I'm, I'll just sit here with you and pray for you as you pray. He, and he bowed his head and he cried out to God. I want to follow you, whatever that means. Okay? Now that's a guy I believe I should invest in. Because I have laid out every cost, barrier, and hindrance. And he says, I don't care what it is. I'm at the end of this life of selfishness. And I want to follow Christ. All right, let's do it. Let's go. Okay, so that's what you're looking for. So that helps you a little bit, I think, thinking about who to ask and then how to ask. And now let's talk about what to do. What to do. So you get somebody who says, yeah, I want to do that. Whatever you're talking about, I don't know what you're talking about, but whatever it is you're talking about, I want to do it. Now tell me what we're going to do. You really like, I don't know yet. I hadn't got to week nine in the study. So let's, let's work through this a little bit. Now, if you remember, I have, I've given some caveats along the way. And one of them that I've given you is that I will not give you the secret formula. Because it doesn't exist. All right? I'm not going to give you one method that fits every circumstance, every person, um, because it doesn't exist. But I will give you some things that create a foundation for having a grasp on what to do. But what you have got to remember, what you've got to buy into, is the idea of the presence of uh, the right conviction. There's a couple just critical perspectives. One is the, the presence of the right conviction creates a freedom in the methods. So the presence of the right conviction creates a freedom in the methods. Here's what I mean by that. When you're spending time with somebody to encourage them to be a follower of Christ who helps others follow Christ, what is preeminent in your investment in their lives is, is instilling in them right beliefs. Biblical truths in which they must believe. Because if they believe biblical truth, it will translate into their lives. They'll figure out a way to carry out methods of obedience if they believe what is true. So you've got to believe yourself that conviction is more significant than method so that you have a real freedom when it comes to method. I, I, I'm not so wrapped up in the method as I am making sure whatever method I'm using with a person centers on creating in them the right convictions. 
if they have the right convictions, it will work itself out over time. Okay? So you want to practice a greater concern for the right beliefs than trying to be perfect with the right method. So you don't have to, you don't have to freak out about believing and knowing you have the perfect method. You have the perfect set of truths in the Bible that you want to instill in the heart of the person and the methods will flow out of that proper belief. And so focus on belief and from that focus you can explore what different differences those beliefs should make in life. Alright? Okay, so, so here's another foundational perspective that I think you need to, to remember. God, God wants to do this disciple-making through you more than you want to do it through you. So no matter, no matter how much you want to do this, and I pray that the motivation, the desire has been increasing like crazy, you will never outdo God's desire for using you to help other people follow Jesus so they can help other people follow Jesus. And if, if God wants to help you do it more than you want to do it or ever will want to do it, I suspect that should give us a lot of encouragement that He's going to bring it about in us and through us. Not only that, but if God has given the command, I mean, think about this. The Bible says in 1 John that God's commands are not burdensome to us. God doesn't give us a command to weigh us down so heavy that we say, well, thanks a lot, God, because you just ruined my life by giving me that command because I, I simply will never be able to obey you um, in light of this command. No, God gave us commands because he intends us to experience what it's like to walk in those commands. Now, there's no question none of us are going to be perfect, all right? But our imperfections don't mean that the commands suddenly become crushing weights that we cannot bear. No, his commands are the direction of our faith. So he has said to us, you are to make disciples. Jesus would have never commanded us that we are to make disciples if it was not possible for us to make disciples. The reason that Jesus commanded us to do that is because he intends for our faith to project us towards obedience and to actually experience making disciples. The only reason God commanded us to do that through Jesus Christ is so that we would experience the fulfillment of his commands through the grace of God in our lives as we trust in Jesus. So be encouraged. God has planned from the foundation of the world and has crafted you from the moment of your conception to be a disciple maker. And he is for you making disciples. And so I say to you, if God is for you, who can stand against you? If he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world, who will stop you? If you believe what God has commanded is true because of the greatness of Christ, not because of your ability to obey, how great is your Christ? You get the picture? This is so critically foundational that you buy into the greatness of God's commands and the goodness of them for our lives. He wants us to walk in that. All right? Okay. 
So, so let me give you some thoughts on, on what to do as far as the basics. By the way, your handout this week, because I'm giving a lot of information, your handout this week has a summary of everything I'm doing tonight. Um, and so all the major points that I'm covering tonight are in summary form in the handout. You can download it on the web. And then I've got about 16 copies down here for anybody who wants to pick up one. And so you'll see a really good summary of what we're covering tonight. Okay? In fact, it's already on the web, right? It's already up. So if you've got a smartphone or something like that and you want to download it right now and look at it as we're going through, you can do it. It's there. And uh, you'll be able to follow along. Either way, you can get that information. So, focus on the basics. What to do? Focus on the basics. Remember I said last week you never move beyond the basics? Well, just spend a lot of time focusing on the basics. This, this is really essential and critical here. And so, here's the first basic you want to focus on. Establish a clear understanding of salvation. You know, some of my biggest mistakes have been assuming someone is a Christian and not starting with the essential understanding of what it means to be a Christian. I found myself before spending time with someone for three, four weeks at a time and beat my head against a wall think, thinking to myself, what is wrong? Nothing's working. Nothing's connecting. There's no visible changes in this person's life. I'm doing everything that I know to do to help them follow Christ and something's not right. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe I just need to go back and explain to this person what it means to be a Christian. And I go back and I explain and they say, I don't think I'm a Christian. I'm like, well, now things make a lot more sense. And I share the essential elements of what it means to be a Christian. They say, that's what I want to be. They make a decision. The Spirit of God comes in, dwells them. And then it's like clockwork. It's like I'm not even doing any work anymore. It's just clicking because the Spirit of God is now the partner that I needed all along that was not there previously. So never assume that someone understands what it means to be a Christian. Always start with the basics of being a Christian. And then I, I'm always amazed at how often you need to revisit that subject. Sometimes we feel like, you know, the simple story of the gospel is so simple that I'm ready for the things that are more complex. Get me to the real meat. Well, I'm just here to tell you there's nothing more meaty than the simple message of the gospel that leads to salvation. It's the very message that sustains us every moment of our lives of faith in Christ. And so focus on the basics of the essentials of salvation. Okay, next thing in terms of basics, just use God's Word as your primary tool. There are a lot of books out there you can use. There's a lot of studies that you can look at. But I want to encourage you to always make sure that your primary tool in disciple-making is the Bible. People need to know how to understand what God says to them through the Bible. If you give them a book and they read a book about the Bible, they're going to read what somebody else has understood from their study of the Bible, and they're going to understand how that person understood what the Bible said, but they're not going to walk away with first-hand knowledge of God. When I meet with somebody and they ask me a question about the reading that they did in the Scripture, Sam working through John with somebody, my, my normal tactic when they ask me a question is to say to them, that's a great question. Let's write that down and let's think about 
how what you've read may be the answer to that question. Okay, well, we don't know the answer from what we've read. Well, let's just keep the question there and trust that God's going to answer it as you continue to spend time with Him. At some point, if it becomes critical, I'll help you a little bit more. But right now, what I want to help you do more than anything is hear the voice of God through the study of Scripture firsthand. Because the more you understand the firsthand knowledge of the voice of God through the study of the Scripture, the more you will have confidence to trust Him in every arena of life. So use the Word of God as your primary tool. If you're here tonight and you're saying, I don't know if I know God's Word enough to feel comfortable doing that. I need help. Well, let me just encourage you. Um, it doesn't matter how much you study the Word of God. If you're honest about what you know, you don't know enough. But you know what? We do know Jesus Christ. We do know enough to trust Him. And we know enough to help somebody to be a learner of God's Word, just like we are. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have a certain number of hours logged. You don't have to have a certain number of notebooks filled with, with word, uh, you know, notes and, and descriptions of God's Word. Just be a learner yourself and help someone else learn. That's it. Okay, so use God as your primary tool. The next basic that I think you ought to focus on, work towards, is um, humility and obedience. So, humble obedience. I, I don't want to just say obedience because. If I just say obedience, it sounds like what I'm saying is you've got to gut up and do what God says. And, and that's a departure from Scripture. When I say humble obedience, what I'm saying is the only way you can follow the Word of God is to refocus on the grace of God so that your obedience flows out of humility of needing God's power to enable you to obey. So that when you obey, you don't think, man, I'm a good, obedient Christian. No, when you obey, you think God is so faithful to grant us grace when we are not the vessels who should have received grace. Does that make sense? So humble obedience. Teach them how to obey through faithfulness, through being a believer, through trusting in what God has said. You notice how I did that with the command to make disciples with you. I said, if God commanded you to make disciples, surely God is going to grant you the grace necessary to fulfill that command. I did not tell you, if God commanded you, you go do it. I said, God commanded you, He must be planning for you to do it. So humble yourself before Him and trust Him to do it through you. Humble obedience is a very big difference between those two. One is very self-centered and produces behavioral modification that elevates us to the position of greatness. The other is about a change of heart that elevates Christ to His rightful place. So when people see my good works, they can glorify God, who is my Father. See the difference? 
We're supposed to put our good works on display. That's what the Bible tells us. But if my good works are on display because I'm a good worker, people are going to think a lot of me. If my works are on good display because in my humility, the grace of God is making its way out of my life, then people see Christ. That's what they're supposed to see. See the difference? Everybody okay? Any questions? Make sure we're all right. Okay, next basic is teach them about prayer. Teach them about prayer. And by the way, I've got a lot of scripture references in the handout. So you're not hearing a lot of scripture references. I'm going through this. The handout is packed full of scripture references. So there's a lot of resources there for you. Okay, so prayer. So you want to teach them about prayer. I don't know that much about prayer. Well, the Bible tells you about it. Read all the verses in the Bible about prayer. How do you do that? Go to concordance in the back of your Bible. Every Bible has one. It'll list out every verse that has the word prayer. You know what a topical Bible is? It's a great resource. Pick up a topical Bible. You can get it for cheap at the Christian bookstore. It has a, the scripture verses or passages that deal with every topic in the Bible. You want to know about prayer? Get a concordance and a topical Bible. Read everything about prayer. Guess what? You will have learned a lot about prayer. And then it's a matter of just trusting what the Lord says and doing it. You'll be, a, you'll be very capable helping someone know something about prayer. The other thing that you need to do is you need to pray with people. Invite them to pray. I'll never forget um, times in, in, in the past as I've discipled people and I've said, hey, today when we meet, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray. What? We're just going to pray? Yep, we're going to pray. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a posture of prayer just so that our hearts are encouraged to be in the right place before God. And so we're going to physically get in a posture that that goes before our hearts, just to help our hearts get in the right. Because it's not really natural for our hearts to be humble before the Lord. It's natural for our hearts to be arrogant before the Lord. And so we're going to help our hearts by getting in a humble posture. What are you talking about? This is weird, you know. I said, we're just going to get on our knees because that's a posture of humility, a posture of need, a, a posture of submission. And so we're going to put our physical bodies in a position uh, that we want our hearts to be in because that's the best way to approach God in our hearts. And so we're just going to get our knees together and we're going to pray. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to start praying about this. So whatever you'd like to pray about this, let's pray about it. So I'll name a topic, name an issue. In a few minutes, I'll say, okay, now let's pray about this. And a lot of times what I'll do is I'll model the prayer by praying sincerely, just having a conversation with God. And what I'm trying to convey to them is we're just having a conversation with God. He's hearing us and he wants us to pour our hearts out to him. And we just pray together. And if that person begins to act tired of praying, you know, like we've prayed for 10 minutes, that's the most I've ever prayed my whole life. Um, I'll say, you know what? Are you kind of ready to stop? Yeah, I'm, I'm tired, man. This is hard work. Okay, let's stop. We'll do it again next time. Whatever. Just pray with them. Invite them into your prayer closet. A lot of people are very uncomfortable praying around other people. Some of you in here may be very uncomfortable with that. You know what? One of the greatest ways to become more comfortable with praying in front of people is to pray with another person. There's something really spectacular that happens when you pray with another person in terms of encouragement in your own life of prayer. It's, it's no mistake that that's true. Have you ever noticed when you pray by yourself, it's a lot harder to pray than if you pray with someone I'm convinced that our prayers with others 
are to fuel our prayers when we're alone. And you ought to be practicing prayer with other people. All right? Make sense? So bring them into prayer. And then pray for them. Great times have been, hey, you know what? I know you might feel uncomfortable with this, but let me tell you why I'm doing this. I want to pray for you today. And when I pray for you today, I'm going to actually lay my hands on your shoulders or your back or your head. Now, I'm only doing this with, with, with guys. Everybody clear on that? Uh, I'm not doing this with, well, maybe Lindley. I might do that with Lindley. I, anyway, I'll get off on a tangent there. I don't want to go on. Um, so I'm doing this with guys. I, I'm praying. I said, well, I'm going to lay my hands on your back, your shoulders, your head. Here's why. Because I want to, the, the Bible gives examples of men laying their hands on other men to commission them to follow God. So I want to pray for you and lay my hands on you as if to say, I trust God with your life. And I want to ask you to trust God with your life. I'm just going to pray for you. And boy, that has been some fantastic moments. And I've, I've experienced times when God has just given me prayers for someone that I did not preconceive, that just in the moment happened and were so instrumental in their lives. And that is a fun experience to see God speak and bless somebody through you praying for them. So don't just teach them about prayer. Pray with them. Don't just pray with them, pray for them. Saturate the experience um, with prayer. Focus on the basics. All right? Okay, the next basic I think is very important is to teach them about the Holy Spirit. Okay, with risk of this being recorded, I'm going to say some things here that are off, off the record, off the map, out of my notes. Here we go. This usually gets me in trouble. I really get tired of people saying things like Southern Baptist, Baptist churches um, don't talk about the Holy Spirit. That, that we're not oriented to the Holy Spirit. Have you any of you heard stuff like that before? If you haven't, praise God. If you have, um, it's an irritating thing to me. Now, I'm not saying that Baptist history is not guilty for some things in that arena. But I want to clarify something for us tonight. You read all the scripture. And the greatest work of the Holy Spirit is bringing individual people to confession of their sins, repentance of their sins, and salvation. That's the greatest work of the Spirit of God. And I can tell you something that we are driven by, by God's word, is to believe that God wants to save people. Right? And so when you think about the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, um, when it comes to spiritual gifts, when it comes to um, things that are, that are on display by the Holy Spirit in terms of different signs or miracles or actions that people credit the Holy Spirit with, that people glamorize at some level, I just want to tell you right now that the thing that you ought to focus in in terms of basics with the Holy Spirit is teaching someone how to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit to walk through confession and repentance and allow God to bring forth His holiness in an individual life. 
There is no greater display of the Holy Spirit's work than the holiness of Christ coming out of a person's life on a daily level. Nothing more significant than that. The Holy Spirit does a lot of different things. The Holy Spirit can do a lot of amazing things. The Bible is very clear about that. But every single thing the Spirit of God is doing is being done so that the holiness of Christ comes out of believers' lives and the church reflects Christ more clearly. Everything is about that. So teach them about the Holy Spirit by helping them experience, understand conviction of their sin, confession of their sin before God, and the importance of walking through repentance. There is a big difference between saying to God, you're right, I'm wrong, I agree with you. Will you forgive me of my sin? And then going on with life as if that was the end of the story. And saying to God, you're right, I'm wrong, I agree with you, forgive me of my sin. Now radically change me from the inside out so that I don't have to be back in that sin again, being ravaged by the enemy. See the difference? The Spirit of God wants to convict us of our sin, but the Spirit of God wants to take us out of that sin so that He can then do other work in our life of bringing new sins to the surface of our heart when we are ready to deal with it. Do you know there's not a single person in this room that could handle God showing you all of your sin in one fell swoop? We couldn't handle it. There are times in our life we can barely handle Him showing us what He's ready to show us at the time He shows us, right? It can be absolutely just devastating when God points out certain sins in our life and the way that He sees them, intentionally so, so that we trust in Him. But God is gracious in that He only deals with what we can handle at the moment, but if we don't handle in the moment what His grace is ready to change, we forfeit the next gracious change which means we, we retard our relationship with Jesus. The reason God wants to rid us of our sin in a moment is because He has something of Himself that He wants to reveal to us that our sin is keeping us from seeing. And when He works us through confession and repentance, we see Him in a fresh, new way we're not able to see before. And then He says, now that you see me like that, will you trust me with this too? Because I want to clean this up now. Because I'm about making you into the image of Christ and you're a long way from home and we got a long way to go. And I don't want you to miss out on the joy of my tender care and transforming power in your life. Isn't that beautiful? You've got to teach people that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. And there's no greater work of the Spirit of God than that. Is that exciting? We ought to be about the Holy Spirit in a big way. All right. The last of the basics Model and encourage, model and encourage sharing the gospel. I've never shared my faith before. How am I going to model and encourage sharing the gospel if I've never done that? You might be saying that. Well, say to the person, you know what I've never done before is actually shared my faith with another human being. Like told them the whole gospel and they weren't a Christian and they were like, oh, I've never heard that before. I've never done that before. But I think we're supposed to do that. The Bible says we're supposed to do that. If the Bible says we're supposed to do that. God must want to do that in me. And if God wants to do that in me more than I could ever want to do it, I ought to trust him to do it. Would you like to trust me, trust him along with me, and let's try to do this in our life? Nothing wrong with that. 
There's, there's no shame. If you're not where you need to be there, just tell them, I'm not where I need to be, just like you. We're walking this together, and won't it be cool if we both get to share the gospel and experience what that's like? Maybe you've only shared your faith one time. I've only done this one time, but I want to do it more because God's commanded me. If He's commanded me, I know He wants me to do it. See what I'm saying? Just be honest. Do the best you can and just be moving forward along with them. But it's essential that you help them. Are you hearing that? You'll be amazed how much helping someone else learn to share the gospel and actually share the gospel will help you share the gospel over and over again in your life. So there's, there's your, your basic basics. So let me give you some secondary basics. All right, you, you hit all these basics and, and let me give you some other potential basics. Secondary basics. So help people work on every relationship in their life. Making sure that their faith in Christ is bleeding over into all those relationships. Here's what I find. People come to Christ. When they come to Christ, they've got varying degrees of dysfunction in relationships because of the brokenness of their own life and the brokenness of the lives around them. And what God wants to do is put them in a place when, where they are not in a position where anyone can say they have anything against them. They've done everything within their power to be at peace with all people. Well, that's very hard when people have been hurt. They've been victimized. They've been abused. They've been mistreated. And, and, and there's, a, there's hardly anybody in the world that hadn't been deeply injured by another human being. And it's very hard to forgive other people when you've been deeply wounded. Well, the Bible says that the measure of our love for God is determined by the measure of our love for people. And if you don't help them love all people from the most intimate in their life to the most distant, then you are, you are putting a cap on their ability to love God. And eventually, it won't work out so good. Does that make sense? So you've got to help them think through all their relationships. Are you loving everybody in your life? Have you forgiven everybody in life? The Bible says, if you've been forgiven by God, you have the capacity to forgive everybody of every wrong they've done to you. Is there a wrong done to you that you've simply not forgiven yet? Because God wants you to love Him so much that anyone could do anything to you and you could forgive them for it. There's, there's simply no more greater freedom, no greater freedom than that ability to love. You, you know what happens when you have that ability to love people? No fear. You're no longer afraid. You're no longer afraid of what anybody can do to you or your children or your spouse. You're not afraid because you know the love of God changes the way you live your life in this world. Is that registering? This is big stuff, right? Secondary basics. All right, next one is teach them the other spiritual disciplines. We talked about prayer. We talked about the word. Just other scripture, uh, I mean, uh, other disciplines like scripture memory, scripture meditation, solitude, fasting, giving, serving. There's a lot of disciplines that you can teach them and walk through. Again, these are in your handout. Uh, make consistent contact with this person. You know, when you start discipling someone, spending time with them, usually I spend 
anywhere from an hour to hour and a half, once a week or once every 10 days or so with a person. And I do it long enough to the point where they're actually engaging in helping someone else follow Christ like they've been helped. And that just depends on the person, how long that is. Okay, and so during that time frame, I'm making consistent contact. I'm trying to be a part of their life, trying to be in touch with them, figuring out what's going on, trying to walk with them, okay? Um, Encourage and assist them in getting involved in the body of Christ. They need to sense the responsibility and the privilege of serving the body of Christ. If we don't teach people that church is not a club, that church is not an option, like a lot of people act like being engaged in the body of Christ is like an optional weekend activity. If we don't have anything else going on this weekend, we'll show up at church. Hello. That's not how the Bible talks about it. The Bible talks about it as an essential part of our life in Christ. Teach them that or they won't know it. So teach them how to engage in the body and why it's essential. Okay? Okay, include them in other kinds of activities. Don't just always do Bible study together. Like here's something I did with a guy that I was discipling. At the very first of our discipling relationship, um, I said, hey, I'm building a deck at my house, a, a wooden deck. I'd love you to come over and help me. He's like, really? I was like, yeah, you said you want to spend time with me. I'm building a deck this Saturday. Won't you come out and grab a hammer? He's like, okay. You know, to this day, it's probably been um, 16 years. It's been 16 years since we built that deck. That is no ordinary deck. Some friends of ours now live in that house, and I frequently ask them, how's the deck? Now, why would I have interest in the deck? Because it's a memorial. It marks time that that young man and I spent with the Lord. He just called me not too long ago, maybe, maybe six months ago, and said, I wish I could come down and do another project with you. I need encouragement to walk with the Lord. Isn't that cool? So, so do stuff. I had another one. The guy says, I want to spend time with you. I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a bed this weekend, bunk beds for my, my son. He goes, okay. I was like, no, I mean, like, I'm going to build them and I need your help. I've never done anything like that. I don't know the first thing about building anything. Well, this is a good way to figure it out. 20 years later, you know what he calls me? The most influential man in his life. We built a bed together. And it, and it changed our lives. My, my life was dramatically altered by that young man. I can honestly say to you that I sought the Lord in a, at a level during my relationship with him that I don't know that I'd ever sought the Lord previously. He and I just thought we were building a bed. So, so do other stuff, all right? And then, and then make sure that you have fun together. Here's the key with fun. Having fun together opens doors to pieces of the heart that are otherwise very hard to get to. 
Does that make sense? I don't know what it is, but when you do stuff that's fun together, something happens to certain areas of your heart that otherwise would be closed off for a longer period of time. So do stuff that enables you to laugh together, to have fun together. You'll be amazed how much that opens the heart. Okay, let me give you a couple of checkpoints for discipleship in these last few minutes together. Some checkpoints for discipleship. Here's what I mean. Checkpoints, these are things that you look for if you want to ask and answer the question, is discipleship actually happening? I'm investing this time. What's happening? Is anything really happening? So here's some checkpoints. Number one, there's an increasing ability to to correctly handle the Word of God because of this growing relationship. You're going to see somebody figure out the Word of God and they'll be like, you're not going to believe this, but I was reading this and it made sense and I thought, wow, this fits in this area of life and the next thing I knew, I was telling a friend about it and it made sense to them. This is crazy. What's happening? You're going to see this increasing ability to correctly handle the Word of God. It's a great checkpoint. All right, you're going to see a growing devotion to prayer. Like you're going to meet somebody that would say to you, I've never really prayed. And then over the course of meeting together, they're going to say to you, I never knew that praying would be like this. That's what you're going to see. All right? Um, Increased understanding, increasing understanding about having the mind of Christ. I found myself thinking differently. Like, I thought of doing things I've never done before. Like, I actually thought about being nice to somebody that I don't like. Well, do you think that thought was original with you? No, that's weird. I don't like them. Well, the Bible says that His people, through His Spirit, have the mind of Christ. I wonder where that thought that's not of you came from. Because Christ dwells in you and He is changing your mind to think more like Him and He loves His enemies. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Never knew that I'd think like Christ. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Why don't you pay attention to those thoughts a little bit more? Good idea. See? You'll be seeing that. It's amazing stuff. Alright? You'll see uh, compassion of Christ towards others. When the Lord sees people who have rejected Him, He says, my heart longs for them. I longed for Jerusalem, Matthew chapter 9. I longed for Jerusalem. I wanted to bring her to myself like a hen brings in her chicks. And she was not willing. And his heart was broken. You're going to hear them talk about having a broken heart for people around them. And it's going to be weird for them because they've never been concerned about other people more than they're concerned about themselves. You can see this change, all right? Checkpoint. You're going to see a growing understanding of the body of Christ and the personal responsibility in the body. They're going to have a desire to be engaging with the people of God and the corporate worship of God. We're designed for that. You're going to see an increasing desire for that. You're going to see the evidence of sanctification. Changes in their life that is that are meant to provide assurance of salvation. The the changes in our life that comes from the work of the Spirit in our life is to assure us that we belong to God. 
We belong to God because the Spirit of God resides in us. It's by the Spirit of God that we are able to say, Jesus is Lord. You know what the greatest statement that comes out of our lives, that Jesus is Lord? When our lives are being aligned with the Lordship of Jesus. Incredible assurance that we belong to Him. Beautiful thing to see that unfold. You're going to see the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. You're going to see that they actually begin sharing their faith with others. They're not going to be able to contain some things. You're going to be like, you're not going to believe who I said something about Jesus to. And they freaked out that I said it. I don't even know what to do now. You know, and so you're going to hear those kinds of things. Amazing. And then make sure, here's the big checkpoint, make sure that they are translating what you're doing for them into an idea of how to do it for somebody else. Make sure they're beginning to think that way. All right? And here are three more critical checkpoints for both you and the person you're discipling. So this is for you and the person you're discipling. Again, this is in, this is in the handout. Strive to be a person that's not satisfied with knowledge alone, but desires the experience of relationship with Jesus. I don't want to just know about Jesus. I want my knowing about Jesus to feel like knowing Jesus. I'm not going to be satisfied with just knowing about Him. I want to experience Him. So we've got to understand that knowing about Him, when we come to know about Him through the Word of God, we've not figured something out about Him. He has spoken that truth into our hearts so that we know Him. We give ourselves far too much credit we are not smart enough to figure God out. We are not capable of knowing Him. The only way that we understand who He is so that it translates into a change of our lives is because God has breathed into us who He is. He has shown us who He is. And when we figure that out, it's not knowledge about Him. It's knowing Him. And we've got to walk in those kinds of experiences of knowing Him. So you're not satisfied with knowledge alone. You want to have experiences of knowing Him, but in your experiences, you're not satisfied with emotional impact alone without willful, measurable change. And I learned that God loves me. He's forgiven me. All my sins have been washed away. Wow! Emotional impact. I'm so glad I get to go and live my life now. No willful change. That doesn't work. You'll meet a roadblock every time. God will not allow you to go further in knowing Him. He will frustrate the emotional impact and He will bring it to emptiness because He is a kind and good Father. And He wants us to have willful change that follows emotional impact. He wants us to be different. And so you've got to press forward through the emotional impact, which is a gift, an incredible gift, to the greater gift of seeing your life willfully changed. Make sense? Okay, and then we're going to, in the challenge of change, we're not going to be satisfied through our own rationalization of our behavior instead of the hard work of repentance. Here's what I mean. So when we are dealing with willful change, isn't that challenging? Is there anybody here that's not challenged by the idea of 
being changed. Because frankly, we are not um, voluntarily changing ourselves into Christ-likeness. And so when that begins to happen in our lives, that becomes challenging. And here's our typical tendency to cut short the degree of change God intends by rationalizing my behavior. Well, I'm a lot better than so-and-so. I'm doing pretty good. Well, I'm a lot better than I used to be. I'm doing pretty good. Hello. No, we're not going to rationalize our behavior, even though it's changing. We're going to press forward in the hard work of repentance. I want 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 following. I want to be proven innocent in the matter of my sin by God changing me as He wills to change me. I don't want to justify any behavior that is unpleasing to God. Change me. Make sense? All right. At the end of January, I received this text from a young man in his 20s that I was discipling back in Abilene before we left town. And he sent me this text and he said, he goes, I just want you to know how thankful I am for your investment in my life. He said he's going back through some of the things that we had done and, and he said, I'm still experiencing a real difference in my heart. And he told me how he was praying for my family and me. And when I got that text from him at the end of January, it was just a great reminder of how much I love stuff like that. You know, to see somebody's life changed and to know that God in His grace used somebody like me to help somebody else follow Him. I love hearing things like, I've never understood how God guides a person, leads a person, speaks to a person until now. I never really got what it means to follow Jesus, but now I really get it. I never really got what it means to, to trust Jesus, but now I see it. I can't believe how much Jesus changed my life. I want to help somebody else the way you've helped me. God changed my life. I'll never be the same. Thank you. I love hearing things like that. Today, I was sitting at lunch with two guys that have recently followed Christ. Decided I'm going to follow Christ my whole life. And one guy's about three or four weeks ahead of the other guy. All right? So the guy that's ahead of the other guy, he has just recently been like, I cannot believe what God is doing. He's, he's leading me. He's guiding me. I'm understanding his word. This is so amazing. I don't know if I'm getting it right, but something's happening. For the first time in my life, I understand what people were saying when they said, God is leading me. I get it for the first time in my life. He's telling this other guy this whole story about what God's doing in his life. While I'm sitting there watching this happen, I'm thinking, this four-week-old believer is now discipling this one-week-old believer, and I'm sitting there getting to experience the joy of seeing it come together and know that God gave me a little piece to play in it. There is simply nothing, nothing more amazing than living that kind of life. There's nothing more satisfying there's nothing more exciting. There's nothing more liberating. There's nothing more joy-giving. There's nothing that makes life more significant than seeing the hand of God bring His people to know Him, follow Him, so that they count Him more valuable than all other things. That's the adventure we're invited into. Isn't that awesome? Yeah.
Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for our time together. Pray, Father, you'd stir our hearts to be disciple makers. Only your spirit can work this in us. My enthusiasm cannot bring about change. My excitement, my stories, none of that will matter, Lord, if people do not turn their hearts to you and you do not shower us with your grace. I pray, Father, tonight, by your work in us, our hearts will be turned to you and we would join in the adventure of disciple-making. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great night.